Amen. Hey, I want to bring you uh, greetings from Idlewild. I spent the weekend uh, with our young people up at their retreat, and uh, it is awesome. Let me just tell you guys, you are missing out. If God has called you to, to student ministry, you are missing out if you're not answering that call because, man, I am, I am raring to go. We're going to be here. Just, just get comfortable. We're going to be here all day because I'm so inspired. No, we are. No, no. <laughs> Not going to do that to you. And maybe you would say, oh, teenagers. Well, then there's a whole children's department that could use you as well. And, and I just, I got to say, it's just exciting to see what the future holds for the church, at least the church here at Crosswinds Church. We have some awesome young people, and I am excited. And, you know, you've seen a lot of them up here. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it is so cool to be, as you know, many of you, I'm, I'm a former youth pastor here in this church, and to see the number of people that are in leadership and ministry right now that I had a hand in, uh, there's just nothing like that. So don't, don't miss out on that opportunity. Uh, this gets me about, believe it or not, 20 years ago, I can't believe this is 20 years ago, we did a, a, an experiment for a few years. We had a community theater here at Crosswinds Church. And our first production was a little show called You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And uh, yeah, and um, you might say Unbroken Legs, what's that? That, uh, that was suggested by Jim Painter. And it was kind of, if you know anything about theater, you know the, the theater line is break a leg. And so we thought, oh, this will be cool because, you know, Jesus is, didn't have any bones broken when he hung on the cross. It turned out to be a, a little too clever for most people to figure out. So after this show, we went to Crosswinds Community Theater, a little more generic, but it really told people what we were all about. And in this show, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, it talks about a day in the life of Charlie Brown and four or five of his friends and his dog, Snoopy, of course. And I always remember one of my favorite parts of the show is the ending. The ending has a song entitled Happiness Is, and Rick and Lori, if you want it, they were on the cast too. If you want to join along with me, feel free. But it goes, I'll give you a bit of it here. Happiness is finding a pencil, pizza with sausage, telling the time. Happiness is learning to whistle, tying your shoe for the very first time. Happiness is, I'm not done yet, being a... <laughs> Oh, he's going on. <laughs> Happiness is morning and evening, daytime and nighttime too. But happiness is anyone and anything at all that's loved by you. Yeah. And then Lucy comes out, and Charlie Brown's there in the limelight, and she says, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown goes, ah. And the, you know, the, the piano goes, ding. <laughs> I tell you, that song is so sweet, you get diabetes just listening to it, right? <laughs> well, the reason I bring that up is because today what we're going to see is Jesus is going to talk about happiness and blessings, and you will notice that it's a little bit different than what Charlie Brown says happiness is. Now, those things are all happy, but of course, Jesus is going to talk about a much deeper version of happiness than what we usually think. And in fact, 
Let me tell you, this version of happiness that Jesus is going to be talking about today is going to be much deeper than even beyond Charlie Brown, much deeper than what most people think. In fact, some of the things might not even seem like happiness, and yet this is a happiness that is so deep that good things don't even have to be happening to you in order for it to be a reality. We're going to come back to our, we're we're in our series, His Kingdom Come, in the book of Matthew, and today we're going to begin Jesus's, arguably his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And this day is going to be probably the most famous portion of the Sermon on the Mount, that is the Beatitudes. Now, usually the Beatitudes, no pastor worth his salt would, would not be a pastor or a preacher if he didn't preach an eight or nine week series on the, on the Beatitudes, which I've done. Today, we're not going to do that. We're going we're gonna to skip over the ocean like a stone, as Gallagher sang. Yeah, I'm dating myself. So if you have your Bibles, we're just going to go through the entire Beatitudes, sort of in a way like Jesus did. I mean, he didn't take eight or nine weeks either. So here we go. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, as we begin the famous or infamous, depending on how convicted you get, and as I've said a couple of times now, buckle up because there is conviction on the way uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount. I would encourage you to take notes this morning. You should have gotten a note card at the door. If you didn't, you can put your hand up, and one of the ushers will make sure to get that to you. Also, there are questions on the back. We'll be using those in our life groups. Feel free to use them in your own personal devotions as well, or talk at the table out on the foyer about maybe joining a life group. We're only a couple of weeks in. There's still room for, uh, for more in some groups. A lot of groups are closed, but I'm sure there's room somewhere. We'll find one anyway. And um, also, if you're joining with us online, again, welcome, and all of the material that I've just mentioned is available on the church app, which you can download at the Apple Store or, or Google Play or whatever, all those, you know what I'm talking about, you know better than I do. Okay, <laughs> let's get to where we are, let's get the context, okay? We left off last week where Jesus had those crowds following him, remember we got out a map and we even plotted it, we realized they're coming from hundreds of miles and they're not, they're not taking their cars, they're, they're walking. Okay, in in verse 24 of of Matthew 4, just prior to the section we're in today, and the news about Jesus spread throughout Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and severe pain, demon-possessed, people with epilepsy, people who were paralyzed, and he healed them, and large crowds were following him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And today we're going to see how Jesus responds to these crowds and what he's going to begin with is a topic that's probably close to all of us. How can I be truly, really happy? How can I experience real happiness? Not just the superficial happiness that comes with finding a lost pencil or a slice of pizza, okay? And the first thing we see in our passage this morning in chapter 5-1 is that we must come to Jesus. Look at verse 1. It says, when Jesus saw these crowds that had been following him, he went up on the mountain, and and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, again, this this teaching has been called the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to cover the next three chapters. And the main theme of this sermon that he's preaching, the main theme of this teaching is true righteousness. That is true righteousness as opposed to the artificial righteousness of their religious leaders. 
In fact, I believe that the key verse in this sermon of Jesus's is in Matthew 5.20. And it says this, For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And as we're going to see, that's where the conviction is going to come. Because you know, we might feel like, well, you know, I haven't broken the big, the, 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 you know, the really bad laws in the Ten Commandments. I haven't committed adultery. And Jesus says, ah, have you thought about it? Well, then you've done it. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. Have you hated your brother? Then you've done it. That's the kind of thing. He's going to internalize the law of God. And I, <laughs> there's nobody in this room that is going to escape conviction. Trust me. Uh, and so... What is the difference between true righteousness and the righteousness that Jesus is talking about? Well, as he says here, unless it surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. What did the scribes and the Pharisees tend to do? They tended to focus on how they looked. They focused on the things that they did. If I could turn righteousness into a series of acts, well, then I'll just do those acts. The trouble is, righteousness is not just a series of acts. Righteousness is a lifestyle. Righteousness is, is an internalized character that he's going to be talking about today. True righteousness is not what I do. It's what I allow God to do through me. And that is an important distinction. And being the master teacher that he is... Jesus knows how to capture the interests of a crowd. Like many of us, they were used to hearing, especially from those self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, they were used to hearing just how bad they were, just how they didn't measure up. I was sharing with the young people uh, this week how there was a class of Pharisees that became known, colloquially anyway, as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. And the reason they were called that was because they felt that they were so holy that they couldn't even look at the regular people who were so unholy. And so what they would do is they would wear a veil over their face, which prompted them to go throughout the, the city constantly bumping into things and tripping and falling because they were covering their faces because they didn't even want to look at the great unwashed all around them. And so they were known as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. And even in that, they took pride. Look, I am so righteous that I am bruised and bleeding because I won't even look upon you, you, you sinner you. Well, imagine how they must have paid attention when instead of, after getting a regular diet of this from their, from their religious leaders, Jesus sits down and begins to teach. And the first word he says to them is blessed. Oh, blessed. And let me tell you guys, we don't really, I think, get the impact of that word. That is a powerful word. It's a word that speaks of divine joy. Uh, it's a word that speaks of a perfect happiness. In fact, often the Greek word that is used here for blessed, or it's, it is translated blessed, was talking about a, a joy or a happiness that was so good that it was only experienced by the gods or the dead. I'm not sure how those two match up, but that's, that's what I read. It's either the gods or the dead. You know, it's, it's, it is so good, it is so joyful, so happy that it's almost unattainable by us. And the neat thing about it is it didn't require out, 
outside circumstances for you to obtain it. You could be happy uh, no matter what you're going through, no matter what kind of difficulties or struggles or, or trials or temptations, happiness was available to you. It's the happiness we see over and over with, let's just take the disciples of Jesus. I've said this many times. You know, you look throughout the Gospels, and these guys were excited about their faith. They were excited. You, you could easily say they were happy. But then look beneath that and look at their lives. I mean, they're constantly being persecuted, and every one of them ends up uh, becoming a martyr for the faith, save for John, who was exiled. And yet, that happiness was obviously there as we read what they wrote. You wouldn't know how bad their lives were sometimes to be reading some of the things that they are saying. And this is what Jesus is offering to those who trust in him. And not just 2,000 years ago when he gave this message, but he offers it to us today. It all starts by doing, hopefully, what you've, what you've come here today to do, and that is come to Jesus. What else does it take to experience this level of happiness? Well, that it takes having a deeper fellowship with Jesus. Look at verse 3. And he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, this is coming to Jesus only on a much deeper level. We talked about this last week, how there is a belief in Jesus, and then there is the de decision that I have made. Now, I, now that I believe in you, Lord, I want to follow you. There's, there, there's kind of this, this deeper commitment that comes. And I would bet if we talk you, I, that most of us, if not maybe all of us who are followers, have experienced that, where you came to know Christ, you believed in him, you, you went forward in a church service, you raised your hand, you, you laid your hand on the TV, you know, Whatever, however it was you came to know Christ, yeah, that, that, there, that's a thing, okay? And how, if you're a television preacher, what are you going to do, yeah? And so you, uh, you, you came to Jesus, and then I would bet you there was that moment when you realized, hopefully through the preaching of his word, that, man, I don't, I don't really understand completely what this is all about, but I need more of it. I need Jesus. I need Jesus in a way that I haven't experienced him yet. This is, there's a humility that Jesus is talking about here. It's recognizing that you can do nothing. It's all about Jesus. In your own power, he's saying here, you will never reach the kingdom of heaven. You need to be poor in your spirit. It's only by the work of Christ and the work of his grace meeting, uh, affecting you and impacting you. And by admitting that we are dependent upon him for everything, we are giving Christ his rightful place in our lives as Lord of our lives. Or as one has termed it, making him the boss of your life, putting him on the throne of your life, to use a campus crusade imagery. It might help us this morning as we go through these, at least it does for me, to actually look at the opposite of what Jesus is saying to do. I say it might help us. Well, I'll, I'll speak for myself. It helps me because more often than not, that's more what I do. <laughs> it's the things that don't get, ha get me happiness and the things that don't get me blessed. If, if I look at the opposite, I go, oh, okay, now I get what he's talking about, doing the opposite of what I would do normally. And so how to be unhappy or unblessed. We'll look at that each time as well. Well, to be unhappy and unblessed, be proud, be self-sufficient, be self-righteous, 
Make sure you don't admit that you have a need of the Lord's grace for anything. Let me tell you guys, in a way, that's how I started my Christian life. It was sort of like I said to Jesus, Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll take it from here. And then I'll go off. And and I'm sure I'm not alone. And and very well-meaning people kind of contributed to that. Because they said a very good thing. Now that you're a Christian, here is the word of God. I remember the guy that was probably uh, one of the very influential people in my life. I worked with him. He was a Christian. I watched his lifestyle. He said, now you're a Christian. Here's a Bible. Read it and do what it says. And in my immature belief mind, I interpreted that as, okay, Christianity is a series of things that you do. I'll follow all the instructions and I will be blessed. And it took me a while to figure out there's something more than just following rules. This morning, this grieving, well, let's go to verse four. He says here, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And the mourning that he's talking about here, in one sense, is a grieving over our sins, which we often skip, don't we? We're really good at justifying ourselves for our sins. Well, we say, I'm only human. Nobody's perfect, right? I mean, think about how do you, again, I'll speak for myself. How do I really think about my sins? I, I realize how I really think about my sins. I don't. I don't really consider them that much, much less mourning over them, because every Sunday before I come up here to preach, I don't want any kind of of block between my ability to to communicate the Word of God. And so I pray, and not a half hour ago, I sat in my office and I prayed as I do every Sunday, Lord, show me where there, where I have transgressed, where I have, you know, as David said, uh, search my heart and show me where I've, where I've uh, disappointed you. And honestly, I, I don't know why I still think that that's going to be a perfunctory thing that, you know, Jesus is somehow going to say, you're okay, Willie, go ahead. Because it never happens. There's always something, sometimes something that happened like 10 minutes ago when I said something to somebody at church. I mean, it, it's just that kind of a thing. So I don't mourn over them oftentimes like I should. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And in case you have a struggle with me like that, we have communion. Jesus has given us a a reason to stop and to really examine ourselves and to think about it in light of what he has done. And it's an example that while I may make light of my sin rather than mourning over it, I may say, well, that, was no, that wasn't a big sin. Yeah, it put Jesus on the cross. He died for even that sin that sometimes I don't really give a whole lot of credence to. And in fact, one of the reasons that we are to remember is that those of us, uh, only those of us who grieve and feel our lostness as well as the lostness of those around us. Do you really grieve for the people around you? Do you mourn for those who are lost in their sin? And it's, it's as we do that that we will ultimately find our comfort in God. And, and just so we get to where maybe a lot of us are, what's the opposite of that? Well, unhappy and unblessed are the cold and the uncaring. And and I am convinced the number one designation for 21st century Christians, the apathetic, okay? We just sort of go along and do our thing. We just live with our sin. 
Or we make excuses. Well, God forgave me for that, so that my sin doesn't matter anymore. There's some truth in that statement, but that's a dangerous way to start thinking. Are you seeing how the opposite can impact our fellowship with Jesus? Verse 5, he goes on, Blessed are the gentle. Many of your versions will say the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And you've probably heard this. Pastors love to say it. Meekness is not weakness, right? We think of somebody being meek as being milk toast and, you know, a pushover. And they're not. Moses was described as meek. Jesus is described as meek and mild. The word that is used here, the picture behind that word, the imagery behind that word is of a horse that is being broken so that you can ride it. But that horse still has all the power to kill you. It's just power that is under control. You think Jesus couldn't have come down from that cross like they were mocking him? He could have done it. But he showed tremendous meekness and power by not doing it. And what's the opposite? Unhappy and unblessed are those who are prideful, those who like to argue, those who like to fight, those who like to take control. In the Old Testament, we have King Saul. Here's a guy who was the king of Israel. He wanted to control things rather than trusting and obeying God's way of doing things. And what happened? The Lord took it all away from him. A person, you see, is not gentle or meek because they can't help themselves because they can. He's gentle and he's meek because they don't insist on doing it. They don't insist on their own way. There's one more thing to strive for in order to have that deeper relationship with Jesus, and we see it in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Do you see the progression in these first four First, you're poor in spirit. You, in other words, you realize your sin. Then you mourn over your sin. I hope you do. When you realize it, it's like, oh, Lord, what have I done? And then you're meek. In other words, you're turning all to God because you realize there's nothing I can do. In fact, you realize that's the whole purpose of the law anyway. The law was never meant to get anybody saved the law was to demonstrate to you very starkly that there is no way you can save yourself. This is what it takes to, to be perfect, and you're not. And if you need proof of that, try to keep the Ten Commandments. And then, as I say, Jesus even ups the ante on the Ten Commandments when, he comes, when we come to the New Testament. Some people say uh, erroneously, you know, that, that God is easier on us in the New Testament. You know, the, the Old Testament was the, the wrathful, vengeful God. And the New Testament, Jesus came and softened God up. Uh-uh, you're going to see just the opposite over the next few weeks as we go through Jesus not softening the law. Jesus is making the law all the more hard. He's telling the very, the, the most righteous people in their society, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they were righteous. They were good rule keepers. Don't, don't ever think they weren't. They were hypocrites, but they were good at keeping rules. And he's telling them, you're not going to get into the kingdom of God. Is, tell me where that's easier. No, it's far harder. And then when you've gotten rid of yourself, when you've, when you've turned all to God, when you've realized your sin, when you've mourned over your sin, you, you begin hungering. You should anyway. 
You should begin hungering and thirsting because you've gotten rid of all that junk in your life. Ephesians 5.18, I, I love this verse because it commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be, don't be drunk with wine, wear into excess, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled, be continuously filled and controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I'll tell you, for me anyway, I can't be filled because I haven't been emptied yet. Before you can fill up, you've got to empty all of that junk out of yourself. Let me tell you something. I'm, I'm going to confess something here, and uh, don't anybody tell Jackie this, okay? <laughs> but one time she told me, I am making your favorite dinner. And, you know, so, you know, when you get home, I'm making, I'm making your, the dinner you love the most. It's meatloaf, by the way. I'm making meatloaf. And boy, I was, what, was I looking forward to that. But I was also hungry. And so what did I do? On the way home, I stopped off and I had a coupon for two hamburgers at Jack in the Box for the price of one. <laughs> and I turned that in and I ate two Jumbo Jacks. Again, don't tell her about this, okay? <laughs> and I got home and I, you know, showed great restraint with the, my favorite meal, my, my meatloaf. I, I thought I would, you know, impress her with how, how much restraint I have. You know, I'm not just going to gorge myself on your food. No, of course I'm not, because I just gorge myself on junk food. And guys, unhappy and unblessed are those who have an appetite for things other than God's word. They have an appetite for success or for power or for things or for money. Rather than hungering and thirsting for righteousness... They have lost their appetite for the word of God. They have no desire to worship. They, they, have, they no longer crave righteousness. Why? As one writer put it, who used this illustration, they're full of the burgers and fries of self-importance. <laughs> Guys, when you empty yourself of yourself by being poor and mourning and meek, meek, meekful, meek, you will be blessed and you'll hunger once again for righteousness. Man, I want to come to that point. I, I hope I'm at that point. But I, you know, more than just the, 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 the times here and there, I want that continuously. So to be happy and blessed, we must, number one, come to Jesus. Number two, have a deeper fellowship with Jesus. And we have one more this morning, and that is to have a greater compassion for others. Specifically, as we say here at Crosswinds Church, for those others that are in your world. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You see, once you've developed this deeper fellowship with Jesus and you are truly filled with the Spirit, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be like Jesus. You're going to be doing the things that Jesus would do, which is being merciful towards others. You know what mercy is, right? It's not getting what you deserve. The, the, the flip side to mercy is grace, and that is getting something you don't deserve, okay? And that's what will happen. You'll become merciful to others. You'll be willing to help those people who are hurting. You will identify with those who need mercy. You won't be saying things like I have had occasion to say, well, that person is in the condition he's in because he got himself there. If he would have just you know, done better things in his life, then he wouldn't be in this position that he's in. Because, guys, you wouldn't act like that because Fortunately, the Lord didn't act that way with you. Do you not think that Jesus couldn't say to every last one of us, why should I die for you? You got yourself in this position. 
I mean, obviously he could, but he didn't. And that's mercy and grace. And in case you've forgotten that, well, I have good news. You're in the right place. We have communion today because we are so apt to forget that. And how do I know that? Because while I can praise God for what he's done in my life, in the same breath, I can turn and condemn somebody else because of what they're going through that they got themselves into rather than being merciful towards them. I'm not saying to, to enable them or to be accepting or all that. I'm just saying I know what I feel, and it ain't mercy. And, and that's the thing, guys. We got to be honest with ourselves at least, even if I'm not going to fully admit it to somebody else. On the other hand, unhappy and unblessed are the merciless, those people who are cold-hearted, who are uncompassionate, who the Bible says that they have calloused minds and hearts. You read throughout Scripture how when you show a lack of mercy, a lack of grace, a lack of care or concern for other people, your, your heart becomes calloused. I like the way Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another every day. Why? That's why we come together, by the way. As long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What does a callous do? Well, when you get the good calluses, and if you do a certain kind of a movement, it builds up a callus so that you don't feel things there anymore. And that can be a good thing if you're a guitar player. I could guarantee you all our guitar players have callus on their left hands if they're right-handed or their right hand if they're left-handed, okay? They've got callus on those fingertips. We went to, uh, when we were on vacation, we went and got a massage, Jackie and I, a couple's massage. No, I take it back. We, do, yo, anyway, we did do that. But we also, this wasn't the massage. That's another, another sermon. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what are you going with this? We, we got, um, now, I'm, now I'm realizing, do I really want to admit that I did this? But <laughs> I got a pedicure, okay? Okay. And the, and the little lady doing my pedicure, she pulls out this uh, pumice stone and, believe it or not, a, a, a knife, okay, a razor blade. And she says, do you want me to take off the calluses? <laughs> and I'm like, no way. I spent time getting those calluses. <laughs> you take the callus off, I'm going to have to feel it while they build back up again. I'm not sure why people take calluses off, but obviously it's a popular thing when you're getting a, a pedicure or a manicure. But uh, the thing is, what he's, and if you think of that imagery, what he's saying is when your heart is calloused, you don't feel things anymore. And if you continue to, to lack mercy and grace for the people around you, then that's what's going to happen to you. Unhappy and unblessed are those who serve God and others because of how it makes them look. Oh, let me, let me go. I, I skipped too far ahead. Um, Let's, let's do the verse first. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This one goes to our motives. I used to serve with my youth groups at the Midnight Mission down in downtown Los Angeles. And when you go to the Midnight Mission, you see these photos on the wall of all these celebrities, Hollywood movie stars and political leaders that have come and served at the Midnight Mission. And it's pretty impressive, some of the people that are there. And I, I was talking to the director one time, and I said, so you know these guys that come? And he says, well, I, I know them once a year when they come. 
And I said, oh, they, they only come once a year. And he goes, oh, yeah, they come once a year with their publicity and their, their photographs. They get themselves photographed, and it usually goes on the evening news that, you know, Eminem was serving meals to people who were less fortunate than him and all that. And so they're doing it in order to be seen because it looked good for them. You know, if you're a celebrity, it looks good that you, you care for the little people that, that put you where you are. But those who are blessed, who are impacted by the Spirit, Jesus is saying they are pure, they are honest, they're sincere. Sincere, sincere. And because of their devotion to Christ, he says they see God right now. Through, right now they see him through faith. Ultimately, we're going to see him face to face. Now, ha- unhappy and unblessed are those who serve God and who serve others because of how it makes them look to others. Those are the ones that Jesus is going to be talking about in chapter 6 when he says in verses 1 and 2, take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you. They did that, by the way. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that they will be praised by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. When we get our reward here, the, the proper question is, did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy the praise you got? Did you enjoy the trumpet? Well, I hope you did because that's all you're going to get. There's nothing coming once you get to heaven for that particular thing that you did. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. A peacemaker is a a harmonizer, a reconciler, a a bridge builder, if you will, between people and, of course, between people and God. And only those guys who are truly at peace with themselves and with God are able to effectively function as those mediators, those negotiators, those go-betweens between differing parties and often uh, difficult parties, let's say. And what is the greatest peacemaking, peacemaking activity there is? Well, of course, it's introducing people who are estranged from God to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, bringing enemies of God into the very presence and peace of God. On the other hand, unhappy and unblessed are those who stir up strife, are those who complain and argue, who are cynical, who are suspicious of everybody, who have their special little doctrine that every time you talk to them, you haven't covered every jot and tittle of this doctrine, of this teaching. Now, I, am, I, I know that I, I think it, that all doctrine and all teaching is important, but if you start overemphasizing one, you can, you can become a very critical, unbalanced person. I often think these people must think they have the gift of discouragement. It ain't there. Take, take our uh, spiritual gifts class and you'll discover well, there's no gift of discouragement. So if you think you have that, you don't. Yeah, the glass is always half empty with some people. And I wonder, how can you live with yourself, much less your husband, your wife, your kids? This last one might surprise you in the context of blessings. Jesus, remember, talking about happiness, blessings, all the joy you can experience. Verse 10, and and it's so important, he takes three verses where he took two, just one for all the others. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's important. If you have your Bibles, underline that. Because trust me, people will persecute you because of you. (laughs) 
I've been persecuted a lot. How dare me? How, what, what did I do to deserve this when the officer hands me the ticket? Well, I know what I did to deserve it. I sped, okay? What did I do to deserve this when, when, I, you know, when I get penalized in a game that I'm playing? Well, no, it's because of Christ. That's the key. You are blessed when you are persecuted for standing up for righteousness. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are people who are so sold out on the Lord, they are willing to be treated badly because of their stand for Christ's truth and Christ's grace and Christ's love. They are willing to be misunderstood they are willing to be criticized. They are willing to be falsely accused without becoming bitter or looking for ways that I can retaliate. I can hear some of you now. Wait, wait, what? What? Persecution? That's blessed? Maybe some of you thought that if your life demonstrated all of these wonderful character qualities, you would be popular. I got news for you. <laughs> Look what they did to Jesus. He's the only one in history that ever did 100% characterize all of these qualities. And what did they do to him? You think we have any chance of escaping persecution? But wait a minute. That's, that's what we've been promised, right? Look at, I always love what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said this. Paul is the, was a, a mentor to young Timothy, a young pastor. And I love this when he says to him, now you have followed my teaching, my conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, as such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium. He's giving kind of an overview of the book of Acts here. At Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus, say it with me, will be persecuted. So I ask, do you want to live a godly way in Christ Jesus? Don't be surprised. <laughs> Expect the persecution because Jesus promised it. Actually, that's Paul. Jesus promised it when he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Okay? I know we talk about the promises of God, and they love to, you know, list out all the wonderful things that God has promised you. I wonder sometimes, is that one on the list? You know, in the world, you will have trouble, but, and then, of course, we always want to go to the second part, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I guarantee you that one's in there. Notice something here? Uh, well, let me go back to what's the alternative? Unhappy and unblessed are those who are revengeful, are those who are quick to demand their right, are those who refuse to accept criticism for Christ's sake. Many of these people are quick-tempered. They're easily offended. They, won't, they don't want to risk being hurt by anybody, so they make sure to create a lot of distance between themselves and other people. And they will often hold a grudge for years. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you've met people like this, right? That's kind of a church thing. In fact, for years, years ago, Saturday Night Live, Dana Carvey had a character called the church lady. You remember? Oh, hell. Who is this? Satan? Yeah, right. Why is the church lady so funny? Because if you're of a certain age, you knew a church lady and probably a few of them. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. And did you notice something? 
These blessings begin and end with the same promise. The kingdom of heaven is given at our point of greatest need. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says in verse 3. And it progresses to the point of our greatest identification with Christ. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Verse 10. And, and what, are, what is the promise for both of those? You will, it, 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 you will see the kingdom of heaven. Finally, I don't want you to misunderstand the purpose of this list. Many people incorrectly think this is some kind of a to-do list. Okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going I'm to take the, the Beatitudes and I'm going to, to live them. And I'm going to live them out. That's, I talked about that already. I, I would love it if that were true because I am a rule keeper. Okay, you give me the instruction book and I'll make it happen. Trouble is, you know, living a righteous life is not the same as fixing my car. I just can't get the manual out and make it work that way. That's not how it works. What have we seen today? In order to experience what Jesus is talking about, these blessings... You have to come to him. And then that develops into that deeper fellowship with him. And that then develops in us a greater compassion for the people in our world. As I come to Jesus, as I spend time with him, he'll begin to rub off on me. You know, the people that you hang out with that are the closest to you, that's who you're going to become like. And, and I'll begin to see these character qualities in myself as the Holy Spirit works them within me and out of me. And then that will come, that will develop ultimately into a passion for God. That passion for God will develop into a compassion for the people around me. I will begin to demonstrate the same care and concern that Jesus does for those people. We need to ask ourselves some questions this morning as our worship team comes back and as our elders will come forward and begin to prepare the table for communion. I want to ask some questions. These are questions I ask myself, and I could have put a bunch of them for this today, so I, I limited it to three. And I ask myself, Willie, are you really willing to listen to Jesus? When Jesus sits down to teach me, am I willing to come to him and actually listen to what he says, even though it's going to be hard. It always is. It's never easy when Jesus, you know, gets really serious with me about who I am and what I'm doing. The second question I ask out of this passage is, do I see myself correctly? Am I seeing correctly the things that make me happy and blessed, at least in my mind? And is it the things, is it the characteristics that we're seeing here? Or do I realize that based upon Jesus' standard, which is the only standard we ought to be using, I really am unhappy and unblessed. Am I listening to the point that I actually recognize that? And then finally, number three, what do I really think of my world? Do I think, you know, there are those people that play their music too loud and they're kind of, they dress funny and they don't, you know, you can go, am, am I really, the question that we get out of this is, am I truly merciful towards them? Am I being like Jesus to them? And when I'm doing it, are my motives right? Oh, I went to church today and the pastor got me all worked up about going to my world, so I'm going to go to my world. Well, you know, just stay home, okay? <laughs> Watch the game, okay? Because that, that, that's not all that effective, what you're doing right there. You know, allow, better yet, don't stay home, but allow Christ to change your heart and go out with the right attitude. I guess I ask myself, when my world persecutes me, because generally the persecution comes at the hands of those people, 
when they persecute me, do I feel blessed? <laughs> that was the last one. Because, you know, I'm, I'm entering into what Jesus and the prophets and all the, the, the great men of God, they were persecuted. What right have I to not experience a little of that? Sure, I suppose, as Charlie Brown says, happiness is a warm puppy. I've had warm puppies, and that's pretty happy. But it can be so much more substantial when we look at the happiness and the blessings that Jesus has for us. And one way to begin to truly understand that is to come to his table, to come to a time of communion when we truly think about who we are and what we have done. The imagery here is, uh, is encouraging. Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper, I am the bread, among other things. And the bread, you'll notice, starts out as one single loaf and it is broken. Jesus said, I am the bread, I am broken for you. And so as we break this bread and as we spread it out among us, think about, we're going to be thinking about what Jesus has done for us. And he went on to say that I am the, the, uh, the wine, I am this juice. You know, my, this is my blood which has been shed for you for the remission of sins. And it's to cause us to really think about what he has done for us and how that should impact us because Again, as I've said a few times, I go a lot through life not really thinking about that. And I, I, it, it affects my relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and it especially affects my relationships with those in my world when I don't want to demonstrate the same mercy that Jesus has demonstrated to me. And so I need at least a, a reminder every now and then of just what he did for us. Scripture says that we, before we come to this table, we need to examine ourselves because we dare not come to this table in an unworthy manner. What does it mean to be unworthy? Well, communion is not just communion with God vertically. Communion is also communion with each other horizontally. When Paul said to examine yourself, he was saying it to the Corinthian church, which was famous for not having harmony within their church. Brother against brother, people taking all the food. They would have a love feast, and the first people in line would take all the food, and the people at the end of the line couldn't get any food. They had rich people that sat in the nice seats. They had poor people that you go sit there on the floor. That was the kind of church it was. And Paul is saying when you treat your brothers and sisters like that, by the way, who are they? They are the body of Christ, okay? When you treat them like that, you are sinning against the body of Christ. You're unworthy to come to this table and by partaking in this table, declaring to everyone and to yourself that I am one with Christ, I agree with Christ, I, I, I want to orient my life to what Jesus says we should do. That's not what he says we should do. So that's one way to be unworthy is to have issues between yourself and God. And as we come, we're going to have a moment uh, in a few moments here where we're, uh, we're going to have a time where we can pray. And as I do every Sunday, ask God to search your heart and show, him, show you if there's anything that would prevent you from being worthy to come to this table. One other thing, though, that makes you unworthy is that this table is meant to be a remembrance of what Christ has done in your life. And so the big question is, has Christ done anything in your life? 
Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior? The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Therefore, anyone without Jesus Christ is under a death sentence because Jesus said, I, I, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And how did he do that? He took our sentence of death to the cross and he died in our place so that we don't have to. He wasn't dying for his sins. He never sinned. And so this morning, if you have never accepted Jesus' offer of salvation, the Bible says you can do that. We call it the ABCs. A, admit your need of a Savior. Admit that I've never asked Jesus to be my Savior. B, believe when Jesus says, I have paid the price for your sins. And C, make a choice. The Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. If you haven't done that, you can do it right now. But if you don't want to do that or you haven't done that, then don't participate in this table because there is no reality to what you are proclaiming. By participating, you're proclaiming that's what you've done. And so I would encourage you to let it pass by. Paul says there were people that got sick and people that even died because they took it lightly. This is not to be taken lightly. I say that as a warning, but I also say it as an encouragement. We're going to pray right now, and I'm going to begin by just praying a, a, a prayer of acceptance of Christ. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me, and then you're ready to come to communion. For the rest of us, there'll be a few more moments to really listen to what God has to say to you about your worthiness to come to this table. Let's pray right now. Father, I first want to pray along with anyone who this day, right now, realizes that your Holy Spirit is calling them to you right now. And Lord, I would encourage them to pray something like this. These aren't magic words, so use your own words. But Lord, I realize I am a sinner, that I am separated from you, and I'm on my way to an eternity separate from you, what the Bible calls hell. But Father, I recognize that Jesus Christ, your son, came to this earth and died a horrible death for me. He took the penalty. And Father, I accept that payment right now. I open that gift. I am right now confessing that I want your son, Jesus Christ, as my savior. And I'm giving you complete control. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. Make me more and more into the person you want me to be. And as I say, if you've prayed that prayer right now, you're ready to declare what Jesus has done in your life through participating in communion. For the rest of us, Lord, speak to us right now. Is there anything that we need to confess, that we need to agree with you? Yes, Lord, that is sin. Scripture says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we'll be ready to participate. So let's do that right now. Lord, speak to us. Father, I am so thankful, especially when I ask you to reveal sin in my life. I am so thankful 
that it's not based, as Micah says, on works of righteousness that I have done because there aren't a whole lot. In fact, the things I've done, Father, have no right to be called righteous. But it's according to your mercy, your son Jesus Christ, and what he did for us that you have saved us. I thank you and I praise you and our participation in this table today is that statement from every one of us who follows you as Savior and, as, and Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our worship team is going to lead us in singing. And when you're ready, you'll notice there are stations around here. Uh, you can uh, go up and get your elements. And uh, if you want to send somebody from the family to get it for everybody, figure that out. But just go to the station nearest you. And then at the end of this song, we will share in communion together. So let's do that now. Take 
this prayer to the Lord as we take communion, as we remember his sacrifice. Let's come worthy to the table. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Let's remember that and do this in remembrance of him. Scripture tells us that Jesus took the cup and redefined it for them in that Passover meal. He said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. And he went on to tell us that he would not partake of this fruit of the vine with us until we do so in his kingdom. He didn't, take, he didn't partake of this until he's going to do it with us. So we're not only looking back in remembrance, we're looking forward in anticipation of celebrating with him in his kingdom, which is coming. Amen? So let's do this in remembrance and in anticipation.
This morning, as we always do at, during a time of communion, uh, we, always, we have our regular offerings, which you can give out in the, uh, do in, the, in the boxes in the back or online. But we also take a brotherhood offering, which is a special offering that we do in order to help people in the body who are in financial need. And so as God has blessed you, feel free to, uh, to give in that way as well. Let's pray together as we go to our world that God has called us to. Amen? Father, we thank you for the blessings, for the happiness for the, that we can experience. And Lord, may we dare not keep that to ourselves. You didn't give it to us, Lord, just so that we would enjoy all these blessings. You gave it to us to give it to others and to share with them and to live our lives in such a way. I realize, Father, if I live my life demonstrating the Beatitudes, I cannot help but think there are going to be plenty of people that are going to ask me the reason for the hope that is in me. And so, Father, I, I, I ask your spirit to fill me, control me, empower me, so that when people see me, they see you, and they want to know how they can have it too. That's our cry, Lord. We thank you. We praise you for this time we've had with you today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, and all God's children said... Amen. Our elders and uh, uh, pastor will be up here in front if you need uh, prayer or anything else. God bless, guys. Have a great week.